Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. All hell, King Jesus. All hell, the Savior of the entire earth. I hope that that is true of your heart. I hope that you know that and you live in that and you walk in that. You know, there's something happening in the month of April that I don't know that in my awareness of time and so forth that I've ever seen it happen, line up exactly like it is. All of it's based on the lunar calendar. You get the Passover that's happening in just a few weeks. So all of Judaism will be humbly slowing down and observing the Passover celebration. Then you've got Ramadan who kicked off just last week that will go all the way until you you come to the, the month of May. So an entire month of praying and fasting in the in the Muslim faith. You've got Ugadi, a Hindu uh, festival that happened just yesterday of which you got to realize in Hinduism, there are 330 million gods. But on that day, it's the day that they remember Lord Brahman as the maker of the heaven and the earth that we just sing about. So when you got all these religions coming together on the same month, all of these religions and people praying to a God or the God, what do you do with that? Because right, this is what I have never seen before happen, right in the middle of Ramadan, right in the middle of all of these other religions observing their holy days, there's Easter. There's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not the battle of the gods, okay? But God, Mount Carmel, look at that. He's not afraid of uh, of that. He knows who he is. And I want us to in our depth of our being, remember who he is and pray in, in Jesus's name that our friends, our neighbors, our work associates, the people we go to school with, that they will know Jesus like us, like you. I hope, I hope you know him because in Philippians chapter two, verse 10, it says, God has highly exalted him. I want you to read this this verse out loud with me. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. I think that pretty much covers everywhere. You're either in the heavens or you're on the earth or you're under the earth. That covers everywhere. And his name is above Every name. Yeah, amen. Acts chapter 2. We're going to pray these scriptures in just a moment. Acts chapter 2, it says this. There, say, say it with me, actually. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I know that sounds so exclusive. But let me... Let me live in a paradox for a moment. Jesus is incredibly exclusive in his salvation, but he is incredibly inclusive in who he invites. He invites the world. All hell, King Jesus. All hell, the Savior of the world. 
And I want us to pray. We have a number of these faiths represented right here. We have Canopy uh, has helped us connect with, uh, with refugees that have moved here from Afghanistan. You work with people from, from the Hindu faith. You go to school with people. There's Muslims in this area. We love our neighbors. We pray for our neighbors. In fact, you have submitted 217 names now. They're not Muslims and Catholics or whatever. They're, they could be nothings. There's a lot of nothings out there these days. But I want us to pray that in the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, we stand, we collectively stand before you, bowing before you, calling on you, King Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth, not Lord Brahman, Lord Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth. Father, we don't pray to you among 330 million gods. We pray to you as the one and only Savior of the earth. We just sing about it. We just declared it. Father, I pray that in all the complexities of the faith, that we would step in, lean in to the exclusive yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. But the inclusive God who said he loved the world and he gave his only son for the world, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we pray for our friends by name. Right now, we're lifting up the names of the 217 people that you've laid on our hearts bringing them to you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Y'all can be seated. Wow, we come to this time and I tell you, there's a lot of things about the Christian faith that are hard to understand. Uh, Lots of things that, uh, I mean, I've been a, a follower of Jesus for a lot of years and and I've got degrees behind, letters behind my name, but I can tell you right now, there are some things that I still don't fully understand and comprehend. Uh, but let me just say this. Uh, one of the things that we got to put our arms around, whether we understand it or not, one of those being, why did Jesus have to die to give me life? You know, he paid a debt. I did not owe, he did not owe, I owed a debt I could not pay. Jesus had to give his life so that I could have life. We're going to celebrate that in 14 days. We celebrate it every Sunday. Okay, I pivot my weeks off of this day. And, and so that, that day we're going to celebrate together three different gatherings together. We want you to text in and let us know when you're coming so that we can make sure we're ready for everybody in those gatherings. But also I want to just point out that we're going to have a good Friday service and experience a worship time together. This is one you bring your whole family into. We're going to have preschool care for for the younger youngers. But if uh, you want to be a part of a a night of worship and a night of communion, the Lord's Supper, we're going to do that on Friday night. And then Sunday morning, beginning at bright and early 8 a.m., hopefully the traffic won't be as tight at 8 a.m. But anyway, in fact, I will tell you right now, if you come at 8 a.m., you'll probably slide in, okay, with no problem. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have a flexible schedule, Come on, AAM, all right? That would help us out because we, we're expecting the latter services to be a little bit more full. So please uh, be a part. Bring your friend that you have been praying for. You have been in, you've identified, you've invested time in prayer. Now it's time to invite. And again, we're giving you some eggs to go egg your neighbor. I never thought I would say that from the stage. 
Please use the plastic eggs when you egg your neighbors, okay? Um, and so that's, that's available for you. Grab as many of those on your way out today and let's just bless our, our community and show some fun love for it. But again, things I don't understand. I don't understand why Jesus had to die to give me life. It just doesn't make sense. Somebody had to die to give me life, but I understand it at the same time. Uh, there's other things that Jesus said. You have to, you have to, uh, you have to, if you want to get life, you got to give up your life. Another thing Jesus said, he said, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And the last is going to be first. You explain that to your kid who comes in last place. It just doesn't work. So in, in God's economy, I just don't, there's some things I don't understand. And the economy is a structure of things. It's not just money, dollars and cents, though it pertains to that, how we exchange with one another. But Webster calls it a, a, a structured uh, system. And so think about a structured system. God has his economy. We have our economy. What we're trying to do is to get into God's economy, okay? Whenever we talk about trading up, going from my way to the Jesus way, we're talking about moving from my economy systems and, and ways of doing life to God's economy and ways of systems of doing life and thinking about life. And one of those, I'll, I'll tell you right now, one of those that just doesn't make sense to me, another one of those that doesn't make sense to me is in Acts. You explain this one to your kids and, and tell me how this works. Um, in Acts, whenever he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that. It's more blessed. I, I can remember hearing that as a kid and I'm saying, uh-uh. What world, what cosmic world are you living in? I love getting. I, my, my love language is gifts, okay? So I love gifts, okay? Not, not trying to get gifts from you, but, but I love gifts. And the, the, the fact is, is that I have to learn in God's economy, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And whenever you talk about that, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute in our minds. But we can't talk about Jesus. We can't talk about the Jesus way. We can't talk about trading up from my way to the Jesus way and not talk about money and possessions. Sorry if this is your first Sunday with us. I don't do this every Sunday, but I'm not sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Because you can't talk about the Jesus way and not understand how his economy works. Okay, how he works. In fact, 15% of everything that Jesus said was about money and possessions. If you look at the parables of Jesus, 16 of the 30 parables was about money and possessions. And when you look at and you add up all the topics that Jesus talked about, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. Okay. Heaven and hell combined, Jesus talks more about money and possessions. So again, I, I am doing you a disjustice as your pastor if I don't talk about money and possessions and the Jesus way. So here's some quick dollars and cents about the Jesus way, the Jesus economy, uh, when, it, when you look at it, okay? Uh, one dollar, and I could probably have 10, but here I'm going to give you one. These are just teasers of all that Jesus had to say and all the scriptures have to say because there's thousands of verses in the Bible and how we manage and make sense of our dollars and cents. One, we own nothing. We manage everything. I don't care what the bank says. I don't care what the title mortgage company says. I don't care what, what. It, no, you, we own nothing. We manage everything. Take the scriptures. When it talks about it in Haggai chapter 2, verse 5, it says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. 
It all belongs to him. Okay? Everything that we have in our pockets, in the bank accounts, our 401ks, our homes, our possessions, it all belongs to him. Deuteronomy chapter 8.18 talks about that God gives us the strength to produce our wealth. So not only does what I have in my bank account is not mine, it's actually God's, but God gave me the ability to make wealth. Again, jot it down, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. So God is giving me the ability to make wealth. God is giving me the wealth that I have, but it's not for me to own, it's for me to manage and to enjoy. And then maybe this will become your favorite Bible verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He does want you to enjoy what he provides, Okay. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy a vacation. You can't enjoy your car. You can't enjoy your home. You can't do home improvements. It's not saying that at all. So you can enjoy what God has entrusted to you. Here's the key. Just don't derive your joy from it. Enjoy it. Don't get your joy from it, which is really hard. Again, the economy of God is so different than the economy of the world in which we live. But also you have to notice when you look at that verse, where does it all begin? It begins with Jesus because Jesus or the Lord gives us, provides for us everything to enjoy. All right. Second, dollars and cents. Uh, truth, greater, the greater the gain, there's a warning, the greater the gain, the greater your temptation to loss. The more you make, the more dangerous it is for you. The more zeros you have at the end of your paycheck, the more danger that is for you. Just, just put it down. Because if you think about it like this, I wish we have a warning label on the dollar bill. We have in God we trust. And I think in reality, it's in money we trust. But if we had a warning label on it, Every note should get with a bigger warning. We have warning labels on cigarettes, on drugs. You can't go to a movie without seeing a warning label. We need a warning label on money. Why? Because Jesus said in his words, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's the warning. If you're rich, sorry, it's harder for you. It didn't say you can't. It didn't say rich people aren't going to go to heaven. As you're going to say, it's going to be harder for you because you've got a lot more things to overcome. There's zeros and there's commas, yes, but those things you've got to overcome to make sure that they don't become your God. Be sure of that. Here's another verse for you, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For, by the way, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a great chapter if you want to understand the money and possessions and how, just take, take some time and spend it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But here's one, the love of money The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Didn't say money's evil. Didn't say having money's evil. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So what happens to people when they love the money? They love the possessions. Some people craving money have wandered from the faith, the true faith, okay? Now, I I spend a whole time on that. And pierce themselves with many sorrows. What does that mean? pierce themselves with many sorrows. It's because sometimes money becomes such an issue, such a stumbling block for us that it literally becomes the thing that we trip over in life, causing us tremendous amounts of pain. 
I got to make more. I got to move more. I got to move up the ladder. I got to work more hours so I can get that promotion. All along, your family back here is maybe paying the greatest price. So is it that that promotion really, really worth it? Or is that just the next rung in the ladder? A, a, a great documentary. It's a little dated now, but I think it's probably still very accurate, probably even more accurate today. PBS documentary called Affluenza. I don't, you ought to look it up. Google it, find it, watch it. It said in there, 90% of marriages that divorce have money as a contributing factor to the divorce. It doesn't say it's the whole thing. Could be so many other reasons that would have caused the divorce, but 90% of them say money had something to do in our breakup of our marriage. So I just want to say this, money's not evil. What happens to our hearts with the possessions and the thing that we have can make us evil. Here's the American life. Beware, ready for, beware of it. We believe that if we have more of what we already have, it will solve our ills. If I have more of what I already have, that will fix. Listen, it may be the tipping point for you. Beware of it. Number three, the more you give away, the more you gain. Again, this is God's economy, not my economy. I didn't write it. I get to live in it. It's like macroeconomics. I'm sure a lot of y'all studied that. We live in a macroeconomic society. Northwest Arkansas, do you remember the toilet paper crisis? That's a macroeconomic issue. Supply chain issues, some of y'all live in that every single day. So that's a macroeconomics. There are things about that I don't even understand, and I've had it explained to me a hundred different ways. Why? I have to live in it. I just have to live in it. I don't have to understand it. So here's the economy of God is that we have to realize that whenever we give away in the name of Jesus, there's a way about that that we gain back. Now, I'm not saying there's a theology out there. Please hear me. That if you give a dollar to your church, you're going to get $10 back. That is false lies from the pit of hell. Okay? Say that. But I will say this. God will provide in ways that sometimes do not ever hit the P&L statement. I just talked to a man in the first gathering, after the first gathering, who has been generously giving to his church for the past 50 years. And he confirmed this. He said, Mike, I've never missed a meal. I don't have any regrets. I have been able to retire sooner than I would have ever expected. And I have always lived at a lower income level. Again, God's economy is not our economy. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, give it and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be poured into your lap. This is the words of Jesus, not my words. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Notice the word measured, measured, measured. That's the theme of that. How are you dishing out what you're giving out? Is it a thimble? Is it a teaspoon? Is it a tablespoon? Is it a bucket? Is it a barrel? Again, I'm metaphorically saying that, but just think about it. And sometimes it's not always the, the number of zeros in there. It's really what's going on inside of our hearts. And so sometimes you can give consistently over time and give much more. Okay, hang with me on this. You hear a phrase around here a lot called consistent budgeted generosity. Very strategic the way we, we, we use that because that is what we see as the biblical model, consistent. For Lori and I, let me tell you how Lori and I do this. 
every month on the first day of the month. I got one on April 1st. I get another email from Grace Point Church that says, we just, you just contributed this amount of money to the church. It happens automatically. And get, I'll get one in May 1st. I'll get one on June 1st. In July 1st, you get where I'm going. We consistently set it up that way. And you know what? When I get that email, I immediately pray. That was my prompt to prayer. To say, God, would you take my generosity, our generosity, our consistent budgeted generosity, would you take it and use it for your glory this month? Consistent budgeted. We have a spot in our budget that is as much a priority as the food on our table, as our vacations, as our mortgage. It is there and it does not move up and down, it might move, but it does, it's, it's always there, consistent, budgeted, and we want to be generous. Now, again, generous is how long is a piece of rope? What does generous mean? For some people, 10% is the floor. For other people, it's the ceiling. I, I, don't, don't even go into percentages with me right now. That's not, that, that's not what I, I will say this. Lori and I have felt years ago, that we wanted the largest check that we wrote every month to be to our church. Because if our books ever got opened by a Martian from outer space and he audited us, I would want him to go, wow, whoever this grace point is, the McDaniels love them most. I, we want that to be said of us. And again, nobody else is looking at our books, but I can tell you this after 31 years of marriage, and I did the math on it this week, uh, this week, 376 months of marriage. We haven't missed a month. We never, ever have regretted it one single time. We haven't missed a meal. We haven't missed, I got clothes on my back. I've got food in my belly. I, I, I've got a home over my head. God has taken care of us. The economy of God is so different. Um, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's hard to understand. Let's take our Bibles and let's look at John. Let's see an example of this. John chapter 12. We've been talking about, again, the Jesus way, moving from our way to the Jesus way. And we've been watching the life of Jesus. We've watched him last week and how he dealt compassionately with people. We've talked about his prayer life. This is what he did in his prayer life. We, prayer life and, and, and compassion. These are all the things that Jesus does. But I want you to notice in the story this time, it's not what Jesus does. It's what Jesus receives. The Jesus way should lead us to looking at who he is, and that should be what should inspire us, drive us to that consistent budget of generosity, living it out in our life, uh, understanding who he is. That should be what drives us to him. And so it's not just what he did that we're looking at. It's what he, what he, who he is and how he is worshiped by Mary. Mary, I told you we'd come back to Mary a few weeks ago when we were talking about the, the rhythms and, and the pace of life. Mary and Martha, you remember the brothers, and, uh, the sisters were lined up there and Martha's busy, busy, busy trying to do, do, do all this stuff for Jesus as he's in the, in the house. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's learning. She's taking it in. She made that her number one thing. Listen, Mary of Bethany is my female hero of the New Testament. We need to study Mary of Bethany far more than we do. 
Because when you come to this passage, you see again, Martha busy, but Mary is worshiping. Let's look at chapter 12, verse one. Six days before the Passover. So literally, if you were to time that out, it's probably within, we're within 72 hours because the Passover leads to Easter, leads, or leads to the crucifixion. So we're literally in the same window that this happened back in time. Before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now this happens in somewhere between the, 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 the meal and the time that Mary and Martha were there to, to the Jesus, uh, that Lazarus dies and, and Jesus raises him to death. So they've had all kinds of experiences with Jesus. So they gave him a, a, a dinner for him. There Martha served. Again, Martha's always serving. And Lazarus was there uh, with those reclining uh, with him at the table. And Mary, therefore, look at what she does. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment and a pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now, so, so you know that in Matthew chapter 26 and also in the gospel of Mark, it records the same story, okay? A little bit more different, different details, but all consistently out. And in Matthew, it says that it, he anointed his head. In John, it says it anointed his feet. How do you reconcile the two? I believe that he started at the head. She started at the head, and it literally ran all the way down to his toes. Head to toe, she anoints it. She has a pound of ointment, a pound of perfume. She's got a lot to cover uh, uh, him with. So Mary takes this expensive ointment, uh, covers him, his feet, wipes her hair with his feet, House was filled with a fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why are you anointing? And why, why, excuse me, why, um, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? That's how much that value was. And given to the poor. And he said, Jesus said, this not because Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charged of the money bag, he used to help himself out of it. So he skim off the top. Jesus said, "Leave her alone. Leave her alone, so that he may keep it for the day of my burial." So now he starts talking about his future death, his future burial. She is knows, she knows something's going on with Jesus and she's going to go there so that, that, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you shall always have with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus allowed the focus to be on him because he is the son of God, because he is the most high, because he is the Lord of the universe that we just sang about. And what he does is he allows this worship to take place on him as she pours this over him. So I want to show you three gains of extravagant generosity, which again is a part of God's economy. It doesn't seem right that I'm giving it away, but I'm gaining. Yes, you're gaining. Three gains. The one, the extravagant generosity says, shows what you value. It really shows what's important to you. What you really value. Worship is an old English word that means to ascribe worth to something, to give worth something. Uh, to give worth to some. What does she do? She takes a new pint, a pound of ointment, 
one year's salary because a denarii was, an, uh, was a one day's wages. Now I know there's 365 days in a year and this is 300 denarii, but let's just round it up, okay? Thereabouts, almost a year's worth of salary, she takes, buys this ointment and pours it on his head and runs all the way down to his feet. And notice what it says in, at the end of verse three. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now here's the thing about worship. Here's the thing about generosity. It transforms things. It, 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 there's an odor, there's an aroma that goes across the room and is smelled throughout. And I wonder sometimes, how does God, when I open up my wallet and I give, when I'm generous online, when I drop my offering in the offering box, in the back, what does God do? Does, does he, well, we know he sees our offerings. He saw the widow's might in, in the gospel of Mark chapter 12. So he sees our offerings, but also once you see this, he smells our offerings. When Noah built an altar, to the Lord in Genesis chapter eight, verse 21, it says, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart. So when God sees it, he smells it, he leans into it. He's encouraged by it because it speaks of the value that we place on him. See, I think we're asking the wrong question. If you ask the wrong question, you'll always get the wrong answer, right? The wrong question is how much should I give, Mike? I get this question a lot. How much should I give, Mike? I don't think that's the right question because that question is based on me. How much should I give? That makes it me-centered. It's not me-centered. Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, said lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't infringe on their standard of living. Think about that. Lukewarm people will give, as long as it didn't infringe on their standard of living, because it's about me. Me-centered giving is me-centered worship, and worship isn't about me, okay? Worship is about Jesus. So here's the right question. How much do I value Jesus? How much has he blessed me? How is he taking care of me? How is he present in my life? This is why we don't ask people who are not part of a Grace Point Church to, to give. We ask those who have declared their faith in Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, you should give to your church, wherever your church is. Yes, you should give. But if you're not a member, because I don't want to assume that, if, that, that you, I don't want you to think in any way that God wants your money. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. This is not God's way to raise money. It's God's way of raising people. How you, what he does in our life how he transforms us as we learn to worship him. Number two, extravagant generosity, hear this one, this is loud and clear, is radically irrational, okay? When you become extravagant in your generosity, it will be irrational to some. You might have your accountant tell you something like this. You know what? You've, 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 you've tapped out all of your exemptions, all of your, all of your write-offs. You don't need to be giving that much. I've heard people tell people that. Um, uh, you might, as I've heard of one other person happening to them, they were so generous to their church, the IRS reached out to them because they said, this is not, ra- this is not rational. 
And once they did their audit, they said, okay, you're living irrational. Extravagant generosity is, is radically irrational. It just doesn't fit. Well, what happens with Judas? He sees this pound of ointment going from the Jesus' head to his, and he's literally going, that's a year's salary. And he said, we could have given it to the poor. We know the motive behind, behind Judas, but don't just get onto Judas. All the other disciples were thinking what Judas was saying. How do I know that? Because in Matthew's account, Matthew 26, verse 8, says, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were upset, saying, what a waste. What a waste. Life principle for you. What some people call waste, Jesus calls worship. And when we are extravagant in our generosity, the IRS algorithms in their computers may red flag you. Your accountant may say you're crazy. Your family and friends may go, what? So many other things you could do with that money. But Jesus will look at it and say, that's worship. You think about all of our time, our talents, our treasures, all the resources that God gives us, we get to choose what we do with them. Even though we don't own them, we're just managers. We don't own them. We just get to sort them out. Take your, take, let's take it out of money for a moment. Take it to time. You've got time. You've got the same amount of time I've got. Okay, what are you going to do with your time? We can translate this to money in a moment, but let's do, let's do with our time. Do you realize the average, read a study called the, in, the, in the book called The Demise of Guys, in our Western culture, that the average guy before he's at the age of 21 will spend 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000. You can get a college degree in 10,000 hours. Instead, you can focus on your ranking in Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto or Minecraft. You can do that, or you can go get a college education. I use that as an example just to say, you know what? You've got time, and that's a resource that you have. What are you going to do with it? Take it to your money. The same thing. What are you going to do with that? What some people will call waste. God calls worship. But what you do with your money says more about you than you realize it. Ron Blue, a longtime Christian financial counselor, said this. He says, you can't fake stewardship. Stewardship is a fancy word for managing. Your checkbook, your Venmo account, your online banking reveals all that you really believe about stewardship. A life story could be written from your checkbook. It reflects your goals, your priorities, your convictions, your relationships, and even the use of your time. A person who has been a Christian for even a short while can fake prayer, fake Bible study, fake evangelism, fake going to church, and so on, but he cannot fake what his checkbook reveals. How we spend our money, our resources, is probably one of the most objective indicators of where our faith is. It says tons about ourselves. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So open up your online bank, open up your Venmo account, and ask, what does this say about my faith? What does this say about my commitment? Because what the world is going to say, hey, it's waste. You could have used it on something else. 
Jesus is going to call worship. And in Matthew 26, when he's on this very passage, he says, do not trouble this woman. Do not trouble this woman. What does he say? She has done a beautiful thing. I want my worship in whatever capacity, whether I'm singing, I'm praying, or I'm giving. I want Jesus to look at my generosity and say, that's beautiful. That's awesome. It's a sweet aroma. It's going to be irrational to everyone else, but let it be what it should be, worship. Number three, extravagant generosity is about leaving a gospel legacy. Now, this is not a stretch. Hang with me on this. Lori and I both, our parents were, my mother's in the front row last service. Her parents were sitting right behind her. We are so grateful for the legacy of what they taught us as a kid. I used to clean my mother's beauty shop, sweep it, fold towels, all that kind of stuff. My, one of my very first jobs. She paid me, I think, $7 a week. And I had a paper route and all that. In the very beginning, she set me down. She said, if you made $7, then this is what you should start giving. And she laid it out. And that was hard as a kid. Okay, so I just use this. Parents, you can build something into your kids right here and now that will last for generations. Lori and I, again, have been married now for 31 years. We have never missed a meal. We have no regrets because it was our parents who taught us Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. How do you do that? With the very first fruits of your produce. However you make, whatever you make, don't at very first off the top, it goes to him. That's why on the first of every month, before anything else is spent, first of every month, our, our generosity comes out. Then notice the promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, not with everything you want, but with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. God will provide for your needs according to his riches and glory. It's his economy. We're living at his economy. Look at verse 7 and 8. Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. What was that? Jesus was about to die. He's 14 days, no more. And he's going to be on a cross. And in a very Jewish custom, they would take the body, put him in a tomb, a borrowed tomb or a bought tomb or whatever. They put him in a tomb. They would wrap them. They would point, uh, they would put uh, ointment on them until their body decomposed. Then they would take their bones and put them into a a esophagus, not esophagus, uh, a little box. Uh, I'll get the word later on in my head. Um, now I'm stuck. Um, sarcophagus, yeah, thank you. And so, and that's why she's there. She keeps me on, on track. Um, but when you look at what she did, she's preaching the gospel. She believed that Jesus was going to die. Other disciples weren't getting it. She's anointing him prior to even his death. This is a part of Mary's legacy. Mary valued Jesus with an entire year's salary. Contrast that with Judas, the other character in this story. What does Judas do? He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is about a third of an annual salary. So what is Jesus worth to you? 
I said the very first thing. It speaks of your value. What does Jesus value to you? For Judas, it's 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to bargain over it. For her, Mary of Bethany, it was a year's salary. I'll give it and I'll pour it out and I'll give it away. Now notice what, what, how Matthew records the ending. I say to you, whenever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. So what Mary did on that day was a testimony of a gospel that would be preached to the Hindus, to the Muslims, to the Jews, to, to, to the Gentiles, to, to you and I. That same gospel, what has done, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I say it again. God doesn't need our money. He already owns it. He doesn't need our things. He could take it away in a heartbeat and give it to someone else. He doesn't need our jobs and our six-figure salaries. There's somebody else as soon as you walk away that will step into that seat. I consider myself an interim pastor. I will walk away one day. All of this is all so temporary. God doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our positions. He's trying to raise us up. He's not trying to raise money. He's trying to raise up worshipers when the world will call it wasting. Trading up. I got to give or I get to give. The Jesus way is I get to give. And you know what? Let's forget talking about money. Let's just talk about Jesus. Because the money is only a picture of what Jesus really wants. He doesn't want 10% of us, okay? He doesn't, want, he doesn't want us to just tithe. He wants 100% of us. 100% of our time. 100% of our life. 100% of our dreams. 100% of our ambitions. He wants 100%. The money part of it is just a representation of part of us. He wants 100% of us. But you know what? Here's the beauty of it. He gave 100% of himself. Every drop of blood until he breathed his last was for you and you and you and you and you. Every bit of himself was given as a sacrifice so that we would in turn embrace him and give 100% of ourselves to him. That makes that 10% a lot easier. He is the Lamb of God who gave himself freely and fully for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, you set the bar on generosity. We can't outgive you. Give and it will be given to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In the same measure that we give to you, you will give back to us. Father, you gave yourself. Lord, we want to give. I pray in this room, if there's people in this room who've never given themselves to you, they'll quit focus. They'll not even hear my message on money. They'll not hear my message on generosity. They will hear that you're a God who gave your 100% to them. And you're inviting them to give their 100% to you. 
Lord, we thank you for these moments. And we pray that we will reflect on you, the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.